Right, we... Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, and I'm going to read just uh, the first six verses. Judge not that you be, ju- uh, you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let me just pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Uh, We pray that your spirit is with us to open up uh, our minds and to understand what you have to teach to to us today. We pray that you change us. uh, You are... shine your glory through our lives in the week to come and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this is a very famous uh, passage, well known to a lot of people. Uh, Don't you find it strange that in this (coughs) postmodern, politically correct world, sometimes the worst thing you uh, the worst thing you can do is to cast judgment on someone else you see to be seen as judgmental is uh, in a very hypocritical way does bring down the judgment of the community upon you i wonder whether you have uh, had this verse judge not lest you be judged thrown in your face like a slap in the face it says don't judge don't judge me you have no right to judge me or you have no right to judge these other people it seems to be one of the few bible verses that non-christians know it seems that they um it it does serve them to quote the bible when it when it suits them especially um i mean it reminds me somewhat of uh, the, the devil tempting Jesus, throwing the Bible, the scriptures, back in Jesus' face. I wonder whether you've had that. And occasionally you even get somebody who, it's clear that they, either, they don't even know it's from the Bible. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Sadly, it's also one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. And we're going to have a look at that now. So uh, a few weeks ago, I spoke on hypocrisy, and many of the things that I said then are are quite relevant to this passage. But like then, we have to make sure that we understand the context of this most famous verse um, in the context of the passage, in the context of Matthew's gospel, and in in the Bible as a whole. We have to assume that Matthew has written these accords, uh, yeah, these, this gospel, Jesus' sayings faithfully. We have to assume, we have to hope that Jesus is not just 
spouting uh, religious texts, some, some holy sayings in some random order. You see, in the, in the beginning of chapter 6, when I spoke about hypocrisy, it wasn't about criticizing someone when you yourself are doing something bad or sinful. Rather, we saw that it was a, a warning for Christians, and especially Christian leaders, to be careful of their own motive, uh, motives. So it wasn't as we saw and what we might understand as hypocrisy today. Today's passage is much more relevant to that. So as we delve in, uh, can you please make sure you've got that passage in front of you so that you can check that what I'm saying is true uh, and that you maybe come back to me at the end if you, if you disagree. And that's fine. I don't mind that. Now, is Jesus saying here in Matthew's gospel, is he saying that we should be quiet, unassuming, happy-go-lucky people with no opinion intellect or passion about anything? Is he saying that we should be quiet, unassuming, happy-go-lucky people with no opinion, intellect or passion about anything? Because if that's true, then I'm kind of out of a job. I'm not saying that I'm all, you know, I'm trying to persuade people not to be quiet and assuming, happy-go-lucky, have, uh, having an, a, being opinionated, uh, intellectual and passionate. Well, I do encourage my students to be to question that's what i do i want them to question i want them to evaluate i want them to use their brains one of the first things i learned on my teaching course is that one of the reasons why people you know, students don't like maths is because it forces them to think they have to evaluate i'm constantly telling my students at the end of each question is your answer a sensible answer You've got sides of a triangle, three and five. Is this possibly 50? And I, I make a bit of a joke about it. Is your answer a sensible answer? Are you thinking about what, what we're talk, talking about here? And isn't that what happens if we ask people not to be judgmental? In the understanding of today's society, if you're saying, don't be judgmental, then we become these blobs that just sit there and say nothing. How can you be passionate about a cause and be become angry about it? You become angry about seeing other people doing something wrong if you're not being judgmental. How can you sit by and see racism happening? and not judge the people who are perpetrating that? And how can you watch the news and see a mass shooting, understand the issues, and disengage your brain? Surely that is judgment. How can we sit on the fence without being judgmental? So is it that Jesus is saying this? You can see that this kind of political correctness affects all areas of life. I don't know whether you, you can take examples. I think, I'm sure that some of you can, can think of examples in your workplace. Certainly in mine, I get other teachers telling me, oh, you're so lucky teaching maths. It's all very black and white, isn't it? You know, 
I can't really tell a student they're wrong because, you know, it's, it's kind of a gray area. Their, valid, their points might be valid even though they're completely nothing to do with what I'm saying. You're lucky as a maths teacher, you can tell them you're, they're wrong. Well, yes, I can. Well, until you, until you start playing around with axioms, but we're not talking about maths anyway. Um, so, is Jesus really asking us to switch off our brains and our passions or any sort of judgment? Well, I'm going to ask you to look down at, look with me at verse 6. And hopefully you might see that this, some might think that this is contradictory to verse 1. So five verses later, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before swine. He's asking us not to throw, give dogs something that's holy, and throw pearls before swine. This is another famous misquoted verse, but we're going to come back to this. Uh, so how is a Christian supposed to know what a dog or a swine is unless they are discerning? Surely Jesus is asking us as Christians to be discerning, to exercise our judgment just five verses later. Elsewhere, Timothy uh, in uh, sorry in Timothy's uh, uh, the, the sorry Paul the Apostle Paul's epistle to Timothy, he encourages us to be to correct and to even rebuke using the scriptures. Well, we're going to come back to these uh, um, these last couple of verses, but we have to assume that Jesus isn't just some crazy man or some powerful orator just you know, spouting these religious uh, little sayings. He can't be, surely, you know, if he's engaging the most intelligent people in uh, Israel and in Jerusalem at the time, he can't just be spouting things that seemingly contradict each other. Surely he would have been picked up on that. So let's try and assume that he's not. Now, let's have a look again at the passage. I think verse 3 to 5 is the key to this initial statement. In it, we get this laughable, over-exaggerated picture of this man with a log in his eye. don't know how that works exactly. <laughs> trying to take a speck out of somebody else's eye. It's supposed to be hyperbole. It's supposed to be ridiculous. You know, but it's trying to make a point. How can you even see with a log in your eye? Actually, how can even a log get in your eye? Um, we definitely get the sense about a Christian being a hypocrite here. For the picture is not uh, warning the man not to judge. It's, um, as we would understand it, rather it's saying... Look to yourself first. Take the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's have a look at it again. It doesn't say, don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. It says, take the log out of your own eye first. So it doesn't say, don't judge as we, we understand it. It says, look to yourself first. And in the light of this, we can read verse 2. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Someone like the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. Jesus says, this is the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would, even, uh, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Then Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to, uh, down to his house justified, that is the tax collector, rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It would be like me going to Craig, unlike so many of the other people, I've had such a good week this week, I haven't committed any sins at all. <laughs> and Craig would then probably say something like, you must be so proud. <laughs> and then I would probably say, mm, yes, I am really, really proud. Isn't that the kind of blindness that we see in the image with a man with a log in his own eye, so blind to his own sin, and the, the kind of, uh, the need to take the speck out of his brother's eye. One more thing you might notice, what does it say about the person being judged? Do you see it? It calls them brother. So just as we are encouraged in Timothy, uh, the epistle to Timothy to use scripture to teach, rebuke, correct, and train in all manners of, manner of righteousness, this passage does not say that we should not judge, but rather we should ensure that we ourselves are, gu are not guilty, that we ourselves are free of the, uh, the sin that we are trying to correct before re rebuking and correcting. And that puts us in a different place, doesn't it? That puts us in a place of humility. That puts us in a place of gentleness. Once we have been there and once we have asked for forgiveness, we have begged for forgiveness and realized that we are forgiven because Jesus died for us. We can approach our brothers or sisters, our fellow members of the church, and say, we've suffered as well. We have struggled as well. Please let me encourage you in this sin. That's the way it should go, isn't it? As a passionate young Christian, I actually found it really hard to be around other Christians. So passionate was I that I saw their sins, I saw their lack of passion, I saw their unwillingness to change, I saw their unwillingness to be more like Jesus, and I found it incredibly difficult. Far easier to spend time with my non-Christian friends, people who didn't know the love and salvation of Jesus, um, and I could forgive them because they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know God, the purity of God, than my Christian friends who knew God and didn't have that drive 
to be more like Jesus, to become more pure, to live more as a witness to God. You see, looking back, I was that foolish man with the log in my own eye. And now I realize, almost 30 years later, how sinful I still am, how fallen, how guilty, how I have no right to judge others. And what a big burden and responsibility of being in the role of a teacher this is. James 3 verse 1 says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And remember that when you try and encourage or try and uh, um, teach or rebuke or correct somebody else. Not many of us should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And there's only one motivator then, <coughs> after that. Thinking about that, that, there's only one motivator then to go and correct and teach others, to rebuke them, and that is love. Wanting them to experience the same love and salvation that we have. Anyone who's a teacher and leader will tell you that it is a joy to be a teacher. But it's also a burden. Anyone who doesn't see that weight of responsibility is someone you should really be wary of. But the most important message here is to take away from this is one of self-evaluation. We need to be looking at ourselves before we look to others. And how do we do this? How do we open our eyes to our own faults and sins? Well, prayer is the first step. We have been given the Holy Spirit, uh, whose power is to reveal to us all things. So, prayer is the first step. Unsurprisingly, my, the second step is to know your Bible. If you've been here for a, a little while in this church, you realize that we put uh, knowing your, uh, your Bible, knowing the Scriptures... First and foremost as a church. Here's another good passage uh, from James. James chapter 1 verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror and goes away and does nothing. It's like having the mirror and seeing the log, and not taking it out. So read your Bibles. Read good Christian books that refer to and explain the Bible. Listen to sermons that will open up the Word of God. I think Craig's told you in the past, if you go to another church, we have no problem with that. But please make sure you go to a church where the Bible is being opened up and you're being encouraged to look at the Bible and to learn from the Bible. And finally, spend time with other Christians. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and, as, uh, and one man sharpens another. It's not just men, women as well. Iron sharpens iron. That's a fairly obvious truth, isn't it? And teaching and correcting others uh, should come from this. 
Foster friendships where your friends can be honest with you. And how do you take criticism? I see this uh, among uh, various teachers. And what I really appreciate is when other teachers uh, take that correction well. One of uh, my colleagues, when I was a very young teacher, um, I learned from him a powerful thing, which was just to learn to apologize. So sometimes he would uh, lose his temper and really bellow at a student, and then straight away he would apologize. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't like to do this. But also, he would award merits for people who corrected his board work, and I learned that from him. And when I, uh, when I go around and I, I have a shirt like this that sometimes comes up untucked, especially at the end of the day, some students say to me, sir, tuck your shirt in. And there are one or two others that go, or, you know, kind of think that it's, it's uh, kind of like a, a cheeky thing. And sometimes it is a little bit cheeky. But I, I try and say thank you, you know, and tuck my shirt in. You know, or you can give me a detention later, you know. But uh, just to thank them. You see, we're not above correction, are we? We need to realize that. And we need to foster friendships. We need to be a church that talks to one another and can be honest with one another. So, be self-examining. Humble Christians. Pray. Be eager to learn your Bible and develop deep and honest Christian relationships. Let's have a look at this last verse then. What on earth is it talking about when it's talking about dogs and swine? Now, there's been a lot written about this verse uh, and a lot of controversy here. But I believe that it was, uh, but these people represent those who have rejected the gospel. Uh, so the gospel being the holy things and the pearls. Um, turn with me to just over a couple of pages to Matthew chapter 13. I think this helps us put it into context. So Matthew chapter ver uh, 13 verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, uh, he had, uh, sorry, sorry, he had and bought it. Now, we know from the gospel uh, that the gospels is the only way to heaven. Uh, the only way to the kingdom of heaven is the gospel of salvation. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That pearl is the kingdom of heaven. The way to the uh, kingdom of heaven is the gospel. So don't throw pearls, the kingdom of heaven, before swine. Hmm. So who are the dogs and the swine? The Jews at the time would have understood the dogs and the swine to have been pagans, to have been Gentiles. Both dogs and swine were unclean animals. But surely Jesus isn't saying, don't go and share the scriptures, 
the gospel, the message of salvation with Gentiles. Because otherwise, what are we doing here? I don't think there are any Jews in the room today. What are we doing here if, if we, we can't, it can't be, surely it can't be, because the rest of the Bible doesn't back that out. And Matthew's gospel ends with the Great Commission. So if you want to turn to it, uh, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, their, uh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to, always to the end of the age. How can you share the gospel if you're going to make disciples of all nations? All nations here, that would be known to the Jews as, sorry, that was the translation is Gentiles, all Gentiles. So, what can he be talking about? I think the biggest clue in Matthew's Gospel is in chapter 10. So, in chapter 10, verse 12, Jesus sends out the disciples, the 12 disciples. He tells them to go into towns and villages. So, chapter 10, verse 12 says, As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. You see, these are people, these are Jews. These are people who reject the word of God. These are people who reject the gospel. These are the people who reject the kingdom of heaven. Now, this might be a difficult thing to hear because I'm sure that some of our family members or friends, close friends, do not want to hear the gospel. Have already told you, I'm sorry, I don't want to hear that. This does not mean that you should not keep praying for them. All being a good witness to them, and hopefully they will change their mind. But if they actively reject the gospel, then you should not keep pushing it upon them. This is what it's saying, and that's a difficult thing to hear. I had a colleague about 10 years ago. Uh, in fact, it's the same colleague that I told you about earlier. I learned a lot from him, and I had a lot of respect and admiration for this man. He was a passionate teacher and an intellectual as well. I could have lots of really good, interesting conversations with him about all sorts of things. I very gently tried asking him about what he believed one day. Now, he knew that I ran the Christian Forum. So, before I could go on, he said, I'm going to stop you right there. I decided a long time that I don't, ergo, that I don't believe in God, and so you're not going to convince me otherwise. I'm too old to change now. 
it was heartbreaking that he actually died a couple of years later. Um, and even harder when my colleagues, my other colleagues, kept on saying that he'd gone to a better place. But he had obviously rejected the gospel. He told me not to speak any more of it. That didn't mean that I started, didn't, you know, I kept on praying for him until the day he died. And I kept on trying to witness to him in my uh, behavior around the, the, the office. But I suspect, and who knows, uh, only God knows, but I suspect that he will not see eternity. And that's a difficult thing. You see, Paul uses the same, uh, same model in the book of Acts. It always amazes me when uh, Paul is beaten and uh, stoned. Even They even thought he was dead and thrown out of various towns. And he just gets up, brushes himself off, and moves on to the next town. Present the gospel before those who are willing to hear it, but not those who have already rejected it. It is not you they are rejecting, it is God. So what do we learn from this passage? Two things, really. Be self-examining and be humble, especially in the case of correcting your brother or sister in Christ. Be discerning about those who share, you share the gospel with. We are the salt and light to the world. Matthew chapter 5. So be self-examining, be humble when correcting and rebuking a brother or sister in Christ. And be discerning about those who you share the gospel with. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you can continue to make us passionate people who love you and we are driven to love our brothers and sisters and correct where we see they're wrong. But we pray that you can keep pointing us to the cross. Humble us, Lord. Help us look to ourselves and our own sin first. We pray that you can deepen our Christian friendships, that we can be honest with one another. Lord, help us to be a humble church, a church that prays, a church that longs to be glorifying to you, longing to be loving of one another and loving of the lost, Lord. Loving to share the gospel, your gospel of salvation, your gospel of the way to the kingdom of glory, to your heaven, with the lost. Lord, we pray that we can continue to work uh, to be more like your son, Jesus, in this week to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.